listening to The 30 Podcast. Here's your host, Jazz Kang. What's up, Lakers fans? Recording this on a Thursday. Before we jump into it, don't forget, subscribe to the Silver Screen and Roll Podcast Network. Uh, you can pretty much well catch us anywhere you get your fix. That's on Spotify, Google Podcast, uh, iTunes, Stitcher, you name it, we are there. And of course, check out silverscreenandroll.com. Harrison, Christian, Sabrina, the entire crew has you covered throughout the offseason. Don't know yet when the NBA's official start date is going to be for the offseason, but we do know that the draft is happening on November the 18th. Of course, the Lakers, doesn't really matter. They're NBA champions. A guy who is now maybe starting to sober up from celebrating the championship, Christian Rivas, joining me as always for the last couple of weeks. Christian, how are you feeling, man? You okay to do the podcast today, or should we give you, give you a week off here so you can recuperate? I think it's bold of you to assume that uh, <laughs> I, I have been drinking at all. I've been working, buddy. Same as you. <laughs> well, you got the Dodgers going on. I know you're a little bit stressed about oh, that throughout the day, too. So see, it could be a double that, championship. Sir. It could be a double championship <laughs> for L.A., and nobody's going to celebrate except for some of the hoodlums who come downtown and break, break stuff. <laughs> well, <so. laughs> well let, let me tell you one thing. If I am going to be drinking during the Dodgers series, it is not going to be out of joy. It is yeah. going to be out of pure stress and, <laughs> and you know, some semblance of numbness. Uh, but it's, it's been, you know, somewhat enjoyable so far. I don't want to sound too ungrateful that my team is in the World Series and have won a game in the World Series, but... I mean, as a fan, you just want every series to be a sweep. So <laughs> when they when they lost, I you know wasn't feeling the best. But it feels better to lose a game when you know you already have one in the bag. We'll see what happens on Friday, but I'm I'm optimistic. How do you think? Uh, how do you think the series is gonna gonna turn out? Like, you think the Dodgers are ultimately gonna win, or? Yeah, I think so. If if there's any reason to be optimistic right now, it's. The fact that the jo- the Dodgers offense is going like the Dodgers offense is not- notoriously streak- streaky and the fact that they've gotten their bats going in the first two games has been great. Obviously having, you know, rough nights from Dustin May and Gonsolin isn't what you want, but up next on the horizon, you have Walker Bueller, uh, Urias and, and Clayton Kershaw. So as long as those guys have their stuff, I feel I feel good, and I, I you know I feel pretty good that they will have their stuff. Yeah, I mean, I like I said, I'm not a, I'm not a huge baseball guy, but but I've been watching as as well, and and I I'm pulling for the Dodgers. Obviously, I've been you know living here for almost four years now, and and yep. I'm like you know seeing them get to the World Series against the Astros, seeing them against the the Red Sox. I'm like, all right, I, you know I I do hope they pull it out, and then I can stand outside my apartment building and, and wave a Dodgers flag while these <laughs> empty streets around me and nobody else is celebrating. But before we turn this into the Dodgers and roll podcast, let's get back to the Lakers, right? We're talking about the NBA world champion, uh, Los Angeles Lakers. I wanted to talk about this because I found this interesting. Like you look back at, at the 2018, 19 season and you know, you had LeBron coming in obviously and magic Johnson. That was his greatest gift to the organization post playing days is, is, is making sure that LeBron signed in on the dotted line. Mind you, again, I'm going to say this right now. I know there's a lot of Magic Johnson lovers out there, but I don't know how hard it was for him to coax LeBron to sign on in L.A. where it was obvious LeBron was either going to L.A. or New York and nobody's going to want to play for James Dolan at this rate. So yeah. I think it was pretty much all uh, cut and dry that he was going to come to the Lakers. But um, he comes here. And, and, and looking back at like the journey to get to being NBA champions, because – that 2018-19 season, I mean, you remember looking back at it, you know, you had Lonzo Ball, you had Brandon Ingram, you had uh, Kyle Kuzma, and they had all these guys that it was like, oh, these guys are going to finally find their form because they had the, the young guys did really well 
towards the end of the 2017-18 season where it was like, okay, they're, they're kind of on the come up now and, and they're going to get things rolling. And then we saw, you know, the team struggle. They had that nice stretch before Christmas of 2018. LeBron ends up getting the groin injury, which ends up being an, an abductor, uh, abductor injury, pardon me, um, and ends up kind of, you know, missing extended time. The Lakers fall off. Everything goes to crap and people are questioning everything. But when you look at, at that season, like, do you, did you think it was possible that they would win just a year after that? No. Oh, God, no. Um, I, so the biggest concerns, I guess, after that season, and obviously that season ended with an ex- exclamation point in Magic Johnson just abruptly resigning from his position. Um, I think most people could have guessed that Luke Walton was on his way out because of the way he coached the season. Um, I, I don't know if you can put the blame all on him for, for the shortcomings of the 2018-19 season. But, you know, he sure didn't make things easy on himself, and it just didn't seem like he was anybody in the front office pick. He surely wasn't LeBron James' pick. And uh, so with no head coach, really, with no training staff, and with no head of basketball operations, I had no idea what the Lakers were going to do. They had a failed bid for Anthony Davis at the trade deadline. And after they lost that bid, I had no idea how their offers or how their offer was going to stack up against the likes of the Celtics or, I mean, that was really my biggest concern is the Celtics putting together a Hail Mary package for him or to a lesser extent, the Knicks, obviously they didn't end up landing the number one pick and ended up with RJ Barrett instead. Um, But yeah, I think it was just a lot of – it's either Anthony Davis or bust. Luckily, it was not bust for the Lakers. They did get Anthony Davis, and, I mean, boy, was he awesome. Um, but <laughs> That's an understatement, right? <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, beyond that, yeah, I, I think that was, that was my line of thinking is if by some divine miracle we get Anthony Davis, things – you know, none of this will matter. And um, – I mean, I don't want to say none of it mattered, but uh, it definitely feels that way now. Yeah, you know, it, it it was kind of like this this frustration building up, you know. And, and when LeBron came, it's funny now, and don't get me wrong, I'm not going to call out specific Laker fans, but if you look at some of the comments of 2018-19, um, you know, talking about how they don't want him here, he'll never be Kobe, and he'll never do this and that, it, it seems like it was like four years ago, you know what I mean? And um, looking at, at at that time, and you know, they had Luke Walton running things. Well, I don't want to say Luke Walton runs anything. And I actually, I've said this before. I actually like Luke a lot. I've met him multiple times. He's a, he's a nice dude, but uh, his offensive coaching is awful. And we're seeing that in, in Sacramento too. I mean, it's just unimaginative. They don't run any good sets. There's nothing, you know, the plays aren't, aren't done well. Um, you know, you're looking at the frustration boiling over at that point. And then, you know, you get to the point that they acquired uh, AD last year and, and, you know, it was, I don't think any, I mean, it was a lot in terms of capital, but again, if you, the Lakers are going to be a, a damn good team for the next five years or so, um, giving up the first round picks and, and swapping picks, I don't think is going to be, is going to make too much of a dent um, in terms of the roster construction. But w- when you look at how, uh, you know, the, the feeling was around the, in the city and, and the feeling around the, the fan base, like, you know, when, when, when they were making that trade and, and, and kind of looking to get AD, were you, were you worried at all once they got Anthony Davis, how Rob Polenka would fill out the roster? Because even looking back at that, like Magic Johnson, to me, 
Uh, and I hated him as an executive. I was yes. just like, what the hell is this guy doing? You know what I mean? Like, you know, I, when he, the day he did that impromptu press conference to say he quit and he did, you know, made that face, he's like, I'm not going to be here. I was like, thank yeah. God. <laughs> thank God, Magic. You know what? Get out of here. Uh, thank you for all your contributions to the organization. You're a great, you're a staple in LA. Everybody loves you, but you are a terrible executive. <laughs> like when you were looking at, at, the, at, the, at the makeup of, of the team and the organization even at that point, because it seems like since Jim Bus, you know, when Jim Bus was running the show, and thank God Jeannie took over eventually, but uh, when, you know, that was happening, did, did it seem like it was ever going to get on track? I mean, even going back to that point of when Magic quit, were you like, what the hell is going on with this organization at this point? Well, okay, so... When the Lakers hired Magic Johnson as their president of basketball operations, and he kind of campaigned on the whole two max slot thing, um, the Lakers didn't have two max slots at the time. The path to them getting the two max slots, uh, I think Magic Johnson deserves some credit for. Like the D'Angelo Russell and Timothy Mozgov trade for the for Brook Lopez in the twenty. 20- sixth or seventh pick um, obviously wasn't super well received at the time. I think the general consensus is that, uh, <coughs> excuse me, um, that the Lakers probably could have waited a year maybe to get off of Timothy Mozgov's contract for less than what they ended up giving up. Um, you know, a number two pick in D'Angelo Russell, who a year later became an all-star, but in hindsight, D'Angelo Russell Yes, became an all-star. I think if you're Magic Johnson or a Lakers fan, knowing that it got to where we are now, you do that ten that trade 10 times out of 10. Like, not even just winning a championship, but getting LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Like, if that was the end result, like, if that was always the end result, I guess, you know, you, you do that trade again and again. Um, but I think the... The pessimism sets in when, you know, the Lakers sign LeBron James and put together arguably the worst supporting cast he's ever had in his life. And it's not just because they were young. I think they had enough workable pieces to to make that roster work. I mean, you look at Lonzo Ball, even in his infancy, was an ideal fit next to LeBron James because of how, you know, he plays on the defensive end and operates as a playmaker when LeBron James wants to play off ball. Like Lonzo ball is just a souped up version of what every, you know, Lakers fan likes about Alex Caruso, except for maybe, you know, the ability to attack the rim. I think it could have worked. It's just the front office led by magic Johnson did everything wrong that you do when you have LeBron James on your team. Like, the amount of shooting that was on that team was abysmal. They were banking on Contavious Caldwell-Pope and Kyle Kuzma to have the seasons that they had in the season prior from behind the arc. They didn't. And when it became clear that that wasn't going to happen, the moves they tried to make to rectify those mistakes were as bad as the moves they made in the first place. Like trading Zubots for Mike Muscala. Yeah, in the midst that, yeah. <laughs> of the season that Muscala was having. Muscala, like, a year prior to that would have been fine, maybe. But you're talking about somebody who's going to be a restricted free agent, 
has a low cap hold and had shown that he's capable of being a starting center. It just didn't make any sense. Uh, the Reggie Bullock trade was a little more well-received, but I mean, the fact that they didn't resign him on his low cap hold, um, it was just confusing. The biggest question mark going into that free agency period was who was actually calling the shots? Who made the, you know, the Mo Wagner pick? who made those signings in free agency and who was on those trade calls pushing to get Zubats for Mike Muscala. I think we can safely say now that was probably Magic Johnson. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, well, you remember that too. You, you were, you were talking about that now. It's like the Lakers don't have shooting. Oh, we got shooting. No, you don't. <laughs> no, you don't Magic Johnson. I remember him saying that. Like you got Michael Beasley and Lance Stevenson, who is fantastic at playing an air guitar, by the way, but not a very good <laughs> basketball player. And then, you, you know, you're watching. Uh, and that was the frustrating part for me, too. It was the team had no vision, right? And then, you know, you heard, uh, you know, Magic refer to, I, I don't remember the exact quote now, but he was talking about a snake or, or, or something like that. And I, I believe, I mean, based off the reports, he was talking about Palenka. And it almost seemed like to me, Palenka seems like a, a GM. And again, I'm not going to talk about this from firsthand knowledge. This is just my opinion right. on it, is that, uh, Palenka seems like a dude. He's an agent, and the agents are very thorough, and and they like to they they like to make sure they're they're dotting all their eyes and crossing all their t's, whatever cliche you want to use. And it seemed like to me he was getting put off by Magic's lack of work ethic, you know. Right. And then that was a complaint that he wasn't in the it office. Was, and what's that? It was really like a Kobe Shaq relationship. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And the the difference was that Magic didn't have the natural ability right. as an executive <laughs> that, that Shaq did as an NBA player and as a seven foot one truck or whatever he is you know what yeah. i mean and and you look at you look at the t- difference between them and i'm like palenka seems like a meticulous guy i mean sure he likes to talk about things in in weird sentences and stuff that's cool hey man it seemed to work you won an nba championship yeah but um you know and, and i think that for me was was the ultimate like yeah this is this organization is going to benefit from almost being in rob palenka's hands right and 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 i think that's what when, when when Magic, like if, and I'm going to ask you this right now, actually, this is, this is a good question for you. If Magic was still president of basketball operations, do the Lakers win a championship this year? I don't know. I mean. Wow, with, way, to, way to take a strong stance yeah. there. Good question. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> I think, so if you have LeBron James and Anthony Davis, you're always going to have a shot, right? Yeah. The question is, is Magic Johnson, like, is his level of stubbornness enough for him to get over his mistakes from last season and learn from them my argument is no uh or like my my I'm inclined to believe that that's not the case I think he wanted to prove that you know it was just injuries it was the head coach once he has the right head coach in place everything was going to be fine I I think they would have made a lot of the same mistakes they made in the summer prior and I I just don't think the partnership of Magic Johnson and Rob Polinka would have worked as well as Rob Polinka communicating with Jeannie Buss and Linda Rambis and Kurt Rambis, people who, you know, Lakers fans had their reservations about. And I want to say rightfully so, because I, I think, I, I think Rob Polinka deserves his credit. I think the Rambi deserved their credit, uh, but you cannot fault Lakers fans for being as skeptical as they were or as frustrated as they were with the hirings in the front office. I mean, you had a relatively inexperienced person in the front office and Magic Johnson to begin with, but 
I mean, the elevator pitch there is who would you rather have in a free agency pitch than Magic Johnson? And that ended up being true. LeBron James asked to speak to Magic Johnson one-on-one. And if we're to believe every report that's out there, that's ultimately what closed the deal for the Lakers. Now, if you make that hire and it doesn't work out in the end, yes, he uh, signed LeBron James. Yes, they drafted Lonzo Ball, Kyle Kuzma, uh, and Josh Hart, who, you know, two of those guys ended up being pivotal pieces of that Anthony Davis trade. But if at the end of the day that doesn't work out and you're bringing in another outsider, another person that doesn't have as much basketball experience when there are guys like David Griffin available, Jerry, Jerry West, um, it just, you know, it rubs Lakers fans the wrong way. So I do want to say that I think Lakers fans should – not feel bad about the way they felt. I think those feelings uh, were natural and, and validated. So I, but ultimately we were wrong. I was wrong. I can say straight up that I was wrong. Um, and I'm happy I was wrong. That's good of you to admit it. People like Anthony Irwin can never, can never admit that openly on the, on the <laughs> podcast. So it's good that you admitted it. No. I want to jump, jump into a few more things. Uh, let's do that after a short break. All right, we are back. We're dissing Anthony a little bit there, Anthony. You know, it's just a, it's a, it's a cheap shot. And it's okay. But you know, we we both still love you. But uh, no, yeah, you know, you're right in what you're saying, and I think that that was the frustration with, um, that was the frustration I believe with with the organization was because I remember like you know I've mentioned this before. I was I was interning with with ESPN 710, uh, the, the year that Dwight was here with uh, with Steve Nash and. And Jim Buss was a disaster, right? I mean, let's, let's call it what it was. And, and, you know, he didn't know what he was doing. He was in over his head and, and Dr. Buss had, had, had passed away. And, and, you know, he was, he was sick at the time then he ended up passing away. And, and you look at, you know, the, the strides that the organization made. I think that's why Lakers fans were getting frustrated was there was no vision. You know, if you're gonna if you're gonna hoard these young guys, make sure you're making the right picks. If not, try and try and trade these, you know, number two, number three picks, whatever you're getting, and bring in somebody who's gonna be able to make a difference. And I think, you know, eventually once Magic left, I think Rob Palenka did a good job of running it more like an NBA team rather than right. an NBA conglomerate. You know what I mean? And I think yes. that that was that was really key. And which is gonna bring me to the next point is the Frank Vogel hiring. And and I remember like, you know, when when he was uh, when he initially signed on. It was like, this is a total, like, this isn't a, a, a silver medal or a bronze medal. This is a participation ribbon. You know what I mean? It wasn't like, oh, wow, we're, we're so thrilled that, that we got a guy like Vogue. It was Ty Lue, uh, Monty Williams, now with the Phoenix Suns. And, and you remember what we saw with the Suns in the, uh, in, in the right. bubble, you know, they went eight and no, and people were like, oh, the Lakers could have had, uh, you know, Monty Williams. It's like, dude, the Lakers are sitting at the number one <laughs> seed in the Western Conference. What are you talking about? They're going to be the, the, the top seed going into the uh, playoffs. And, and, and when you look at that, like even that news, like did you believe at that point that this, this team could win a championship under Vogel? Yeah, so I, as, as happy as I am to admit that I'm wrong, I am also happy to you know, say when I'm right, two weeks before the Lakers were linked to Vogel, I had asked in our Silver Screen and Roll Slack what Frank Vogel was up to because I thought he was – a pretty great coach in Indiana and you know the Lakers prior to that season had been preaching defense and Luke Walton had you know promised to get guys to buy in on the defensive end Frank Vogel was an actual coach with a defensive acumen and I thought that would be a great fit with Anthony Davis like obviously he got the best out of David West and Roy Hibbert when he was with Indiana and if you're going to play inside out I think he was the guy 
Now, there was a report while Tyron Lue was still in the running for that position that there was a possibility that the Lakers were going to have a coaching staff of Tyron Lue, Frank Vogel, and Jason Kidd. That would have been wonderful. I think yeah. Tyron Lue is a great offenses, uh, offensive X and O's coach, and Frank Vogel's, I guess, the yin to his yang. Uh, I think that would have been awesome. That didn't end up working out, but I think, you know, I, I never once thought Frank Vogel was a bad hire. I think the biggest question with him was from those years in Indiana and after that year in Orlando, how has his coaching style evolved with the game? Yeah. And his response to that was basically, you know, I spent a lot of time watching basketball and um, I believe he named Brad Stevens as, as a coach that he watched a lot of and whose brain he picked. And after hearing things like that, you become optimistic. Uh, obviously you don't know until you see it. And, you know, an argument can be made that Frank Vogel's offense is rudimentary, at least compared to his defense or other, or other coaches in the league. But listen, when you have LeBron James and Anthony Davis on your team, all you need is those two and, and other guys to knock down shots. And um, so, yeah, I, I, I think, I think he was a great hire. And the one thing I do want to speak to Frank Vogel and the thing that stood out to me right away. And when I thought he was a great hire was him having to sit through that brutal press conference with Rob Polinka yeah. and, and answering, listening to Rob answer questions about magic. Anytime a question was thrown to him, he preached organizational togetherness. Like he said, he, he believed that the Lakers, the, the sky was the limit for the Lakers as long as everybody from top to bottom was on the same page, was pushing for the same thing. And I think, you know, that was the first time in a while I had felt that that was possible. With Luke Walton out of the equation, it, you know, no longer was, uh, you know, how long is this guy going to last? Or is LeBron James going to get along with this guy? LeBron James was already in the bag and likely signed off on the hire. Um, and obviously Frank Vogel was a pick of the new look front office. So to go from the uncertainty of Luke Walton and, you know, the question marks surrounding their relationship to Frank Vogel, uh, I thought was really refreshing and, and, you know, he just seems like a good guy. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that too. And, and, you know, even, uh, you know, covering practices and, and, and just talking to him, he, he just seemed like he was, there's one thing I like about Frank Vogel. He was always relaxed. You know what I mean? Like he never really lost his composure. He was always kind of, and he was willing to answer the questions that were asked of him. And I think taking that year off and kind of rediscovering, because mm. I, I think it was, a, it was a transition for for a lot of people, you know, even, even for, for us growing up, we knew the NBA as a certain way. And especially if right. you look at, you know, past, you know, the 90s growing up and in, in, in the late 90s and, and the Jordan era, then you go through the Kobe Shaq days and even the Spurs dominating, you know, the, the 2000s. It was, um, you got a big man, you put him down low and, and you feed off of that. And then now, you know, the transition kind of happened. I, I believe the Spurs, I, I would say of, of 2013, 2014, where they really started revolutionizing things, then Golden State took it to a whole new level in 2015 in terms of the, the, you know, the spacing and the three-point shooting and putting a premium on uh, being able to guard multiple positions. And, and I think Frank Vogel needed that year away. And, and, and when it all came together, I mean, we saw the, the outcome of it. And, and, and there's one thing, you know, you, you refer to now is, is, is Palenka's message 
during that introductory press conference, which was, you know, organizational togetherness. They're going to, they're going to do it all together. And that's what the amazing part for me with this Lakers team was. And I remember during the season and I'm, I'm going back to even uh, before the restart in Orlando, you know, if the Lakers would lose a game, it was, Oh my God, you know, it's, it's Vogel's fault. It's like, dude, they're sitting at like 45 and 12, like just relax. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like they're obviously doing something right. And I felt like even the veterans on this team, everybody knew their role. And that's a testament not only to the leadership of LeBron, that's also a testament to how good of a job Frank Vogel did. And I think, you know, like you mentioned, spending that time with Brad Stevens and maybe talking to a little bit of uh, more people who are engaged in the new style and the new age of basketball, I think that really helped them. And, 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 for, and this, isn't, this isn't just apply to NBA coaches. This applies to human beings in general. If yeah. you're willing to adapt and you're willing to learn, you're going to end up in a better spot a year from where you are today. And I oh, think that's what happened absolutely. with Vogel, right? Yeah, and I think the underrated aspect of this whole season, I think because the Lakers were winning as much as they were, was how drama-free this LeBron James locker room was. Not once throughout the season did I hear anything about LeBron James being a coach killer, about him being down on his teammates or, or you know boxing one of his teammates out. I mean, so what happened with Kevin Love. Saw what happened with David Blatt. Um, and even everybody looks at the the Heatles and LeBron James and Eric Spolstra as a success. LeBron James wanted Spolstra out. Like, yeah, we heard nothing of that this season. And I think it is a testament to Frank Vogel saying, listen, you guys are the stars. I'm just in, here to put you in the best position to succeed that I can. When you guys need me around, um, I will be there, but ultimately this is your team as much as it is mine. This is, again, it goes back to being all on the same page. And I think, you know, to start the season, LeBron was a little reluctant to give praise to Frank Vogel. Um, I think Anthony Davis was less so, but the, the type of relationship LeBron James historically has with coaches, I think it's very like, yeah, it, it's a working relationship. It's fine. Um, by the end of the season, I think I did get the sense that LeBron James really respected Frank Vogel uh, and what he was able to do for the team during a really just – I know the word unprecedented is, is used so much these days, but it really is a season unlike anybody has ever seen. Like it, And – even for a guy like LeBron James, who's been in the league for 17 years. Uh, I think seeing the way, I think LeBron seeing the way Frank Vogel responded to that and, you know, rallied the troops together, um, let them grieve when they needed to grieve, take days off when they, they weren't feeling right. Um, just having that open line of communication with star players, I think is, is so essential to the success of teams like that. And, you know, why guys like Steve Nash, who, has limited coaching experience is, is, you know, a quality candidate for a head coaching position in the NBA. Cause he understands that I'm not going to go into the Brooklyn Nets and coach Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. I'm not going to make them adapt to my style. I am going to put them in a position to succeed. I'm going to make sure the guys around them are in a position to succeed. And if things need to, you know, if, if somebody needs to be checked or, you know, a star needs to be talked to, in the midst of a frustrating period for them, I'm going to be there. I think, I think guys 
I think Frank Vogel's a, a really great example of that, and I, I think the Lakers are lucky to have him. Oh, and I, I, you, you hit the nail on the head. Now, you know, while, while you were t- saying that there, and I'm like, you know, looking at the roster construction, right? They had a bunch of – and, it, and I've, I've said this from the beginning of the season. I didn't mean it in a detrimental way, which is that this is a team full of LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and a bunch of ragtag veterans. And the, you know what I mean? And I don't mean that yeah. – I'm not slighting any of them. They all know what they're doing. They're all proven NBA players. Uh, all guys who have been in the league, I mean, you know, minus guys like Caruso and, and Kuzma who are, you know, on the lower end in terms of their seniority in the NBA, but Danny Green, Avery Bradley, Rondo, McGee, Dwight Howard, these guys have been around, man. They know what to, they know how to do yeah. it. And, and they all kind of fell in line behind LeBron as the commander in chief. I would say AD was number two and Vogel was like, cool, man, y'all do your thing. Yeah. And, it, and like you're saying, if we, if we need to, you know, go over certain things or smooth things out, We'll do that. But everybody was on the same page. And that was the amazing part for me, too. Like, you watch how M- Milwaukee self-combusted, uh, combusted, pardon me. Uh, you saw how the Clippers, you know, uh, basically fell off the map, you know, up three to one and, and, and losing to a young Nuggets team. Mm-hmm. That wasn't going to happen with the Lakers. And, and, and that's why I was so confident they were going to win the championship. Once, once we got into Orlando, and like you're mentioning, there was no drama. There was no, oh, you know, this player is getting frustrated. LeBron's like, dude, whatever, I'm off. I'm going to go put some game tape on crack open a bottle of red wine and I'm going to be good yeah. to go. And, and, and that's, you know, that's the, the attitude they had. I want to touch on this before we wrap up the Chris Paul rumors. Uh, I don't want to call them rumors yet. I'm going to call them. Maybe people are hoping that it, it could happen. Do you see any, any way that this, this is actually going to become a reality? I mean, he's due 85 million over the next two seasons. Trade wise, uh, you're looking at this and this is from NBC sports. Uh, you're looking at a package of Danny green, Avery Bradley, JaVale McGee, Coos, Quinn cook, and Alex Caruso. Um, I don't think it's going to happen that way. The uh, OKC could be looking to, to kind of rebuild and reshuffle now that Billy Donovan's gone, and they might look at maybe a buyout for Chris Paul, if, if that makes sense for them, which would probably be the easiest path to Chris Paul for the Lakers. But do you think there's any legs to this at all, or, or is it just a, a, it's a silly season in the NBA? Yeah, I, I think you, you said it. It's, it's just silly season right now. I would be genuinely stunned if Chris Paul was on the Lakers roster, even more so than Anthony Davis, because I mean, you could see a package for Anthony Davis. I just really can't see a, a package for Chris Paul that the, the, the Thunder would accept or that would be financially feasible for either team. So yeah, I'd say that's a long shot. However, if you're to look at one other player from last year's Thunder roster, uh, I'm starting to, you know, feel cautiously optimistic about the Lakers' chances of landing Danilo Gallinari. Um, I think if they just throw the full mid-level exception at him, I think if, if he really truly believes that he just wants to win a title now and, and that money isn't the main thing. I mean, we've heard that before. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, I think it would, I think it would be great for them. And uh, I've talked myself into it a little bit, but again, it is silly season in a few weeks. Maybe I'll talk myself down into, you know, more modest free agents, like, you know, an Austin rivers or a DJ Augustine. I don't know, but uh, yeah, I, I am not on the Chris Paul to to the Lakers train, not because I don't want to be just because the, the track hasn't been laid down yet. No, I'm, I'm with you on that, too. I just think there's there's too many. Unless, like I said, OKC is looking at, hey, we're going to buy this guy out and, and, and kind of, you know, set him on his on his way and he can go wherever he wants. I don't see I don't see that. I don't see that happening either. You know what I mean? At, at this point, it just seems like a pipe dream. But again, we're going to go into an offseason right now. That is 
biting a word off of you that is overused, unprecedented. We're going to go into it with the terms of uh, we don't know who's going to who, who's going to have the 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 finances. I mean, you're going to have teams like Atlanta. Uh, the Knicks who have the cap space, I don't think any respected veteran is going to want to go there unless they're getting a ridiculously long-term contract. But the whole economic fallout of everything happening with the pandemic, um, that that's obviously going to have a toll on things. We'll wrap up on this. Prediction for the World Series. I know you said the, the Dodgers are going to win. How many games do you, does it take? And, and uh, when do you think it's going to happen? Uh, I'd say Dodgers in six, probably. Dodgers in six. Okay, so Saturday night, folks, if you are in the uh, Los Angeles or in the Southern California region, look out for a crazy guy named Christian. He'll probably go drinking again, <laughs> celebrating his second, uh, second team's championship in just over two weeks. <laughs>